Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hubscale podcast. This week's amazing guest is Tyler Shields, fractional CMO, startup investor and also an instructor for the Executive MBA program at Chapel Hill. Tyler, it's great to have you on today. Oh, thank you, Connor. Good to see you again. Just so for our listeners who don't know who you are, can we have a quick introduction on yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so the first half of my career, I was a cybersecurity research engineer writing code at all sorts of uh, really cool startups and, and uh, uh, cybersecurity companies. Um, second half of my career, I was an analyst at Forrester Research and then became uh, chief marketing officer at a couple of very successful cybersecurity startups over the last uh, 10 years or so. Uh, recently left um, one of those startups that was doing very well and hung a shingle out doing fractional CMO work specifically for cybersecurity infrastructure um, uh, application development style uh, early stage startups in the seed A and B range. Simultaneously to that, I, I run a uh, my own cyber investment uh, firm for cyber, cyber angel investing and do some advisory work on the side as well. That's a it's an very impressive background. So realistically, what what started you and what made you get into cybersecurity from the start? I mean, that, that story goes back to middle school and I'll even show you, I keep it back here. I, I don't show this to too many people, but that's actually a photo of me uh, programming a Commod Commodore 64 in about, I don't know, fourth grade or so. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been a, a computer hacker. Uh, you know, I hacked uh, in middle school and high school and kind of fell in with the um, the group of cybersecurity experts that were kind of really inventing cybersecurity in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. And these folks went on to start all sorts of cybersecurity businesses and technologies, you know, wrote the first IDS technologies that are out there in the world. Um, you know, they invented a lot of the cybersecurity that that we all live in day in, day out in this in this market. And so, yeah, I've been doing it since middle school and high school and have main, maintained friendships with all those people and got to grow some really great businesses over the years. Wow, that's uh, that's awesome. And with your CMO, realistically, what inspired you to pursue a career in that? Uh, I describe it as an accidental CMO. Um, <laughs> I really, I really had no desire to be a CMO. So I was an analyst at Forrester Research at the time, um, and a, a contact of mine from a company called Signal Sciences reached out to me, and he basically was like, you know, hey, how do I how do I work with analysts? Was what he said, and I was an analyst, and I was like, all right, well, give me the pitch, tell me about the product, tell me about the tech. They were twelve people, about three hundred thousand in revenue, and had just gotten their um, their A round. Um, at that point. And I said, yeah, the best way to, to work with an analyst is to hire one full time. Like I said, it half jokingly. And he said, well, we need somebody to run marketing. I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll be your head of strategy or something. I don't know how to do marketing. I've never done it. <laughs> he's like, well, you can be the head of strategy and marketing. How's that? And I'm like, all right, give it a go. And turns out uh, I have a knack for building go-to-market engines because I, I don't approach it like a general um, a traditional marketer. Mm -hmm. I approach it more as an engineer would because I'm an engineer right first. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that that approach to building go-to-market um, engines for younger younger companies is really valuable that a lot of people don't understand how that all, how that all inner, inner works. And so uh, I did it successfully at Signal Sciences. I've done it successfully at a number of companies since then, both as an advisor investor, now uh, as fractional CMO, and also did it to build a company called Jupiter One recently mm -hmm. um, from zero to a very, very strong valuation in the market. No, that's uh, that's fantastic to hear. And like you say, I've been an Axel CMO, but it's worked out. And like you say, having that background in engineering clearly has made a difference in throughout your career. So 
with that being said, what are some of the main challenges you've actually faced being the CMO and how have you actually overcome them? Yeah, I mean, everybody's got different challenges in their career, right? And sometimes those challenges are personal to who you are as a person. Um, and sometimes they're, you know, from a capability standpoint, what might be in your DNA. Um, I've never been a great design person. Like, I know what I like. I can look at something and say, I like that better than that. But if you tell me to sit down and design a logo or what colors should we pick? Like, I'm horrible at that. I'm just not, <laughs> I'm not that that mindset, right? Um and so that's just a good example of an area where you recognize your deficiencies and then you backfill those with people who are really good at that, right? And there's a number of deficiencies. That's just one of many deficiencies I have as a marketing leader. But the idea is you know what you're good at. You surround yourself with experts uh, that that augment and, and complement what you do very well, and then you rely on them. You don't micromanage them. You don't tell them how to do their job. If they're really good at what they do, you let them take ownership of it and you let them run with it. And they just soar. If if they're good, they're going to just really soar. And so that's generally how I've built the culture of my teams and the companies that I've built is, hey, you're better at me than these things. That's why we hired you. Own it, right? You, now, don't get me wrong. You're going to have to present it to me and show me why it's mm-hmm. going in the right direction. And, you know, I watch what's going on, but I don't I don't get in people's way. Let them run. And that's what's worked for me to build these these orgs. No, it makes total sense. Like you say, you hire people who are experts in what they do. Let them do it. And like you say they're going to just saw right if you give them the freedom to do that. And yeah. with the current market conditions we're seeing right now, it is a bit of a crazy place. What would you recommend companies should be doing to stand out with their marketing? You know, Mark, one thing I will say is don't, and, and I think a lot of first-time technical founders fall into this trap, don't think of marketing as a silver bullet. A lot of people think, hey, okay, I need to do marketing. That is a single campaign that we're going to send out and see what returns. And sure, that is a piece of marketing, but if you can't measure it, if you can't distribute it, if you can't determine what your messaging and collateral need to be to match your your ideal customer profile and then measure which customer profiles hit it, like there's so much more to it than just fire and forget kind of marketing. And I think that's the biggest trap that people, people fall into when they're trying to market a cybersecurity organization or firm is they just try to stand out by firing that noisy gun and say, hey, I'm the big guy right now. And here's my here's my splash in the pan. And it might work as a splash in the pan. But to maintain that approach to it, you have to have mm-hmm. massive marketing dollars because you're just going to be firing bullet after bullet after bullet after bullet. What you yeah. need to think of marketing as is a compounding engine that builds on itself over time. And you you get through referrals. You get pushed through to people who then influence other people. And you watch that thing build over time. Once the engine's working the right way, it compounds its growth. And then when you fire a bullet, it, it speeds up the compound, right? And so it's about firing the bullets at the right time and then measuring the results and having it compound as an engine. Most people don't approach marketing that way. And that's why they don't stand out in cybersecurity where everybody's doing just the noisy garbage. Yeah. Like I say, it's a, it's a very noisy space at the moment. And I think that's some fantastic pieces of advice, but a lot of startups, I'm guessing, should take on. So with investing, tell me how you actually got into investing in startups. Yeah, absolutely. So I've always I've always loved uh, business. I went back to business school at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and did my MBA there. Um, and I now teach there, as you mentioned earlier, I teach there as a professor as well. Um, you know, I think uh, when I when I had my first success on the CMO role at Signal Sciences, when I left that one. I had a lot of inbound interest, people saying, how did you do it? How did you build a brand there from nothing? Like, what, what's the, 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 the sauce? 
I thought I knew what the sauce was, but I wasn't sure. So I started working with a number of companies and as an advisor and just mm -hmm. helping them like, you know, you give me a little bit of equity. I'll meet with you once a week. We'll, we'll work your game plan, figure out how we take my general knowledge and put it into your space and we can make it work. And I found that I had a knack for it. Like the companies I was working with, I guided them in the right direction and they started popping out the other end and winning. I'm like, oh, all right. Well, there, there's a skill set there. And it turns out that if you give to others, others give back to you, right? And so on a lot of those situations where I had advisor slots and was helping companies just sometimes for nothing, like I would meet with them weekly for like six months for nothing, just because I enjoyed the learning process for myself. They would then go, hey, we're raising our A round. We're going to carve off an, uh, an allotment. Do you want, do you want any of the, the angel? Do you want to get in as an angel there? And it's like, yeah, sure. I, I believe in you guys. Like I've seen, worked with you for six months now. I know what you're going to do. And then I, I started investing my own capital into that. I started taking these advisor slots. And then once you get a couple exits that show, you know, four, five, 10 X return, you get to take that capital, invest in more. And that's, it's just been a, a, a process over the last about eight to nine years where I've continued to compound that, that model. No, that's, that's fantastic. With that being said, clearly you've got a knack to finding some startups who you actually see the, the potential growth and the outcome being five times, 10 times X. So what do you actually look for in companies when you actually go to invest? Yeah, it's a good question, right? Because investing is hard. Like <laughs> I have, I have losers on the record that are, have gone to zero, right? Like that happens. Um, you know, I think for me, I am because I've been in cyber my entire career, like I've literally followed it since the birth of cybersecurity <laughs> in the late eighties, early nineties. I, I have a unique perspective. And then as a market analyst for Forrester, I have a very unique perspective on what I think is going to work technically. I also have a master's degree in computer science. So they can't snow me on, like I can talk assembly language bits and bytes and rootkits and anti-debugging techniques. I, I can nerd <laughs> out with the best of them, right? And so it's hard for people to blow smoke at me uh, on whether the tech actually does what, what they say it does. And so the ability to marry the tech capability with where I think the market is going from a, from like a market trends perspective mm -hmm. really gives me a unique, unique way of investing there. And then the third thing, the most important thing is do the founders have what it takes to execute on that vision. And those are the three things I try to make sure kind of align. And if all three get me excited, that's where I put my money. No, that's awesome. And great bit of advice. And with that being said, like you say, you've been in cybersecurity since since the eighties and since the dawn of time. Realistically, what? <laughs> Don't make me sound that old, Connor. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, my apologies on that side. <laughs> Is there a specific space in cyber which you are heavily focused on now, or you can see booming or growing exponentially compared to the rest? Absolutely, I wouldn't be an investor if I didn't have investment thesis, right? <laughs> so. Um... If you go to uh, the cyberwide.substack.com, it's a substack that I write with a weekly newsletter of what I read this week every Friday. A little bit of snark, a little bit of fun, easy reading, you know, maybe some cool links every coming in every Friday. I also try to write one thought leadership, like deeper thought leadership piece per month, at least one. Um, and you'll start to see some theses being outlined there, right? In particular, I'm really excited about application security being reinvented right now. I'm very excited about API security as a massive, massive yeah. growth opportunity in the very near future. And I wrote a piece uh, called the atomization of the application. Um, and then I wrote another piece about API security and go read those pieces and you'll understand a couple of reasons why I think uh, those are great investment theses. 
there's just been I look for technology shifts, massive technology shifts. The move the move to cloud was the most recent one. Everything going to cloud meant that everything in cyber had to be reinvented how they work in the cloud. So that was a ton of really important investments for me. Uh, applications, the atomization of the application is another tectonic plate that is shifting. How does that now impact AppStack? How does that impact serverless security, cloud security? Okay, let's take those those technology changes and say, here's what's going to happen in security to meet those changes. That That's how I approach it, and I write about it in the cyber why. No, it makes total sense, like you say, API and application security. Are heavily growing APIs, it's still one of the smallest niches inside, but it's a heavily growing, heavily funded when we're keeping a close eye on it ourselves because it is, it's getting big, it's getting exciting yeah. to watch. Yeah, it's and, going to be a massive growth area. I think that's one of the biggest areas in the next three to oh, five years. Yeah, 100%, completely agree on there. And with that being said, how has the landscape in cybersecurity, in startups specifically, evolved in recent years? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I think. I think if we did the biggest impact on on uh, the growth of of security startups and general startups in general is um, free money, right? Like yeah. when when resources are potentially free or essentially free, it allows you to take massive chances to run over a market and dominate a market, right? And so we saw this glut of spend in 2020 and 2021 where capital was free. The cost of capital was nearing zero or very near zero. So let's just, raised $100 million, $200 million in, in a situation where it might cost us $10 million to build the business. And let's just go try to run over a market and be, go to $100 million or $200 million of revenue in a heartbeat, right? And Wiz did exactly that. That's exactly what Wiz did. They were the fastest company, I think, in history to get to $100 million in ARR. They did it in like 18 or 24 months or something ridiculously quick. Wow. Um, and I don't know the exact numbers, but they put out a, a, a blog post about it. You can read it yourself to hear to see the details. But, you know, that's that was happening. And now the landscape is very different. The capital is not free anymore. Capital mm -hmm. has a cost and you have to run efficient businesses again. And so I think fundamentally the idea of how to run a business in a macroeconomic situation that is not free capital is new to a lot of uh, startup founders because they've only seen the playbook of, of low cost capital for the last 10 years. That's all, they, that's all they know. And so I think there's gonna be a steep learning curve. You're gonna see a lot of deaths of, of early stage companies that just don't make it. Uh, mm -hmm. But the ones that do are going to be the ones where the lump of coal turns into a diamond because it's been under severe pressure when it was born, right? And so we're going to see some some big, really good companies come out of this compression. Um, and so, yeah, I think fundamentally how to build the business is the biggest learning curve that most entrepreneurs have to learn today. No, no, I completely agree with you. Like you say, a couple of years ago, even like I say, 2020 and 2021, a lot of companies were mass dumping, hiring exponentially, and it's a completely different market now. A lot of hiring freezes, a lot of layoffs, which is unfortunate, but like you say, there will be some deaths, but there will be some fantastic diamonds that come out of the end. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. And now, like you say, you are a fractional CMO, investor, and now an instructor at the executive MBA program at Chapel Hill. Where has this come about and why have you got into teaching? Um, so, I mean, if you look at my career arc, which I, I outlined a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. you know, the first half of the career, I was the, the tech guy. Like I was living in, in, in my basement office, not even seeing the sun for seven days at a time, writing code, you know, the hardcore. Um, and, uh, you know, I went back to school because I wanted to change. I wanted to be different. I wanted to do something different. And it had nothing to do with it being a bad career. It's just not what I wanted anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And so I went to... 
business school as my way of making that transition. And so foundationally, business school for me has been a massive, massively important piece of my life, right? It's taken me from what I was doing to what I wanted to do. Um, and I think when I was, excuse me, given the opportunity by, by one of my mentors at the, the business school, uh, he was the, the gentleman that runs all of the entrepreneurship side of business school. Um, when he, 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 he gave me the opportunity to take over one of his classes as an adjunct professor, I jumped at the chance to do it, um, mostly because now I'm looking at all of these folks who are at that point in their life who are making those big life decisions from a career per perspective. And for many, for all of them, it's going back to, to business school, right? That's not cheap. Mm -hmm. That's, that's an investment. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be there to help them pop out the other side as a better version of what they can be, right? And so, the listen, you don't go teach as an adjunct professor to get rich. You go teach for the reward of helping others. And honestly, that's the best part of what I'm doing. No, it makes total sense. And like I say, you're heavily passionate about cyber and how it's done for you and what your career's taken. And like I say, investing in your education. And I take, take my hats off to you for going back and actually helping people out and helping everyone get where they want to be in their lives. And that's fantastic yeah. to hear. Yeah. That path is not for everybody, Connor. Like mm -hmm. I know tons of people that are super brilliant, amazing people and workers and business owners and entrepreneurs that never graduated high school, right? Like yeah. there's lots of paths to success. My path involved two master's degrees because that's how I learn. Everybody's got their own path, but um, you know, if I can help somebody find that path, whatever that is, that's, I really love doing that. I love helping others get better. No, that's fantastic to you. Really awesome. And you, you clearly have a busy life, work lifestyle. How do you actually manage your time efficiently and keep up with everything? Like, just curious to know for myself, realistically, as well. Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, I only left Jupiter One back in December, um, you know, from a full-time position. And I'm a nerd, so I'm an engineer. So the very first thing I did was uh, load up a time tracking system that I've been tracking every minute of every workday as far as where I put my time, what revenue it brings in, like I'm treating my life like a business. Um, and so for me, it's like, okay, now that I know I have now a month and a half, two months worth of, of time tracking, I know where I'm spending my time. I know what's generating revenue and what's not. I'm refining that as a business. Um, and so that's how I do it. I approach it as, as an engineer might approach refining your business. You know, it's just kind of, kind of my DNA. And so, yeah, I track my time and then I say, okay, I'm spending too much time wasting whatever on administrative work in this capacity. Let's find a virtual assistant to take care of that so that I can spend more time with my family or, or go golfing on Saturday or whatever the case may be. Um, quantified self, I guess you could almost describe it as. No, that's that's fantastic. Chris, some great bit of advice and I'll uh, take that in consideration myself. Thank you for that. <laughs> what is some of the best advice you've had throughout your whole career from some of the mentors or the people you've worked alongside? Yeah, it's funny. My son's now... Um, he's 18 and he's looking at going to college and we just did a tour uh, accepted student tour at the university of Alabama. And they had a couple of professors, three, three professors. And they asked that exact question of three professors <laughs> in front of all these, like, I don't know, 500, a thousand admitted students who were, who were standing there or sitting there. Um, and it's funny, two of them had my exact recommendations. I was like, okay, I guess I'm not that stupid after all. Um, recommendation number one is follow, follow your passion. And for me, I've done that since day one, right? I wanted to be a hacker. I became a hacker. I wanted to go back to business school. I, I went back to like, I always just followed what I was excited about doing. Right now, I'm excited about fractional work, investing and writing the cyber why. That's what I enjoy doing. So that's what I'm going to do. So follow your passion is number one. Um, the second one is, is um, just show up. That's my advice. Just show up. So many people 
think they want to do something, they get excited about it and they stop showing up for whatever reason. Going to the gym is a great example. I want to get buff. So I'm passionate about it. So I do it for a month and then I stop showing up. Literally, if you show up every single day and follow through with whatever your passion is, you can turn it into a massive business. It's it's yeah. possible. Education is the same way. I, I told my son, I said, look, when you start as a freshman, never skip a class. As long as you're not an idiot, if you never skip a class and you do every piece of work they tell you, you will get great grades in college. Oh, yeah. If you're an idiot, different story. But he's not an idiot. So just just show up, dude. Literally, it's all you got to do. And so I think those are the two biggest pieces of advice. Follow your pas passion and just show up every single day. That's it. No, no, it makes total sense. That's some fantastic piece of advice. Like I say, showing up even on days where it's hard. I myself, I've tried a few up. stuff. And yeah, you just got to keep showing up. There's days when I don't mm -hmm. want to go to the gym. You just show up. There's days when you don't want to work. or But you just show up and get through it. And like I say, you do yep. what needs to be done and you will be successful. That's it exactly. Just show up. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, where do you see yourself and your career going for the next five years? That's a great question. I mean, uh, presuming I continue to have the passion here for um, fractional work, I will continue to do this indefinitely because I'm enjoying it right now. I'm really loving it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for me, my my five to ten year vision is to to grow um, ninety degree ventures, which is the the overarching uh, business that houses my investments, my fractional work, everything under ninety degree ventures. Grow that into um, uh, more of an investing business with continuous returns, mm -hmm. and potentially grow a bigger uh, personal fund there, and then retire into full time investing. Perfect. That sounds like a fantastic plan, and I wish you all the best for that. And like I say, you've had a successful career. I'm confident that that will all happen. I'm passionate about it and I'm going to show up every day toward it. So I'm pretty sure I'll get there. Exactly. Like you say, anything you think our listeners could take away, if there's one piece of information which is vital for them to know from this, what would be? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, certainly the the follow the passion, just show up, I think uh, are the are the top two things. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I didn't really say is I, I'm a big believer in karma as well. If you have available time, if you have available uh, cycles, and you find it rewarding, give to others. Um, because one other it helps other people, which is just a fantastic feeling in and of itself from a reward mm -hmm. perspective. But I have found that just giving and not expecting anything in return, tends to return massive, massive returns for you, right? That's how the entire idea of 90 Degree Ventures came because I wanted to help other companies. So I just started contacting companies and saying, hey, I'll help you build your go-to-market for nothing, no cost, whatever. Six months later, they're giving me advisor roles and they're they're giving me allotments from investment. And all that came from me not having really a goal, just wanting to help others. Yeah. So um, give to others, be passionate and and just show up every day. No, Tyler, that is fantastic. And it's been a pleasure to have you on today. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you for having me on, Connor. No, it's been a pleasure and I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Sounds good.